Hello and welcome to To The Point with Portland, a podcast for communications professionals that gets to the heart of the biggest questions in communications, policy and reputation. My name is Georgie Indirango, a consultant at Portland. Today, I'm joined by Moki Makura, Executive Director at Africa No Filter, for a very interesting conversation. Now, in this episode, we'll be discussing a new report that shines light on persistent narratives on businesses in Africa as the continent's potential continues to be neglected. This is To The Point. Moki, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Thank you very much. How are you feeling? I'm feeling amazing. It's really nice to hear that. Um, Moki, let's jump straight into it because I know we have a lot to discuss. There was a lot of analysis of uh, 750 million stories published between 2017 and 2021. So within the last five years. And what came to be seen is that the potential for Africa is being hindered by dangerous distortions played out in stories underrepresentation of businesses across the continent. So in your report, you're challenging the narrative and trying to create a space that encourages positive storytelling. So let's start from there. What, what do we mean when we say we want to see more or more in-depth stories published? Help us understand this. Yeah, I think the important thing is to understand, first of all, why we did the research. The point is that we are a narrative change organization. So we're completely obsessed with understanding how narratives play out because narratives evolve actually over time when stories are told persistently. And we look to media, we look to what's happening on social media to see what stories are being told persistently about business in Africa. And that's what the report shows us. So we're not necessarily challenging the narrative. We're showing what the narrative is. And what we found through the report was that there were two things, basically, that there was a lot missing in terms of what is reflected in the media about what's going on on the ground in Africa, in business. So there's a lot missing. But the other part is that what is in media about business in Africa is very problematic. So those are the kind of two things we found. And it's not so much, again, about us challenging it. It's saying that This is what we found. And we actually need to do something about it because narratives are really important. They inform your belief systems. They inform your perceptions about issues. And they absolutely inform your actions. And if you are going to invest in Africa or do business in Africa, you really need to know what's going on on the ground. And right now, that's not being reflected in the stories that we found. And consequently, the narrative is non-accurate. Okay, so let's jump into a bit of detail. So the report explains why Africa is still being reported as a high-risk destination and the cost of money is at a premium. We're constantly trying to rewrite history and remarket the continent. Where are we going right or wrong? Yeah, I don't think it's so much about where we are getting it right or wrong because as communications professionals, we can continue to put out, you know, the right press statements, right press releases, But what we're concerned about is what is actually being written about by the journalists in media. And what we're finding is that they're creating a sort of different reality. Because if you were sitting in the US or anywhere else, or even sitting in Nigeria trying to invest in South Africa, if you're looking at what's being written about media, I'm going to tell you this now, 
you are going to believe that there are only international global brands doing business in Africa. That's what you'll believe because that's what you'll read. I'll tell you what else you'll believe. You will believe that government completely dominates business in Africa because very few stories don't include some mention of government legislation, government policy. You know, Twitter, for example, when they opened an office in Ghana, it was global headlines. You know, Twitter opens up HQ in in Ghana. The point is, in Ghana, there were over 500 tech companies who also operate, who aren't getting the stories, who aren't getting the headlines. But Twitter, global tech company, is. That's problematic because that does not reflect what's actually going on in the tech scene in Ghana. So it's issues like that that we we do need to rewrite um, because we want it to reflect the reality. Um, And the problem is narrative becomes reality unless you counter it. And the only real way to actually counter these stories and to change the narrative is to put in more stories that present an alternative perspective of whatever it is you're trying to change. So those tech companies in Accra need to be doing more communications. If they are not good storytellers, they need to hire good PR professionals to get their stories out. Twitter is not the tech company in Accra. Yeah. You know what's very interesting about that? Just in the week of the 20th of April, we had Google mentioned that they're coming to open their first office in Africa and they were hiring developers and whatnot. And Mm. it was going to happen in Kenya, which is extremely interesting because this is a country that had Microsoft very prominently. It had uh, uh, Andela that was churning out engineers. But now because of this huge company coming in, now everyone all of a sudden starts to talk about how developers need to be paid. And, and there have been tech companies being churned out mm. from Nairobi, from the country's capital for the last decade or so. So I really do get your point about Accra. So now let's talk about then who do we anticipate should be telling the positive stories? Well, you know, I'm very reluctant to use the, the phrase positive stories because it implies to me there's some sort of spin, you know, or we're right. deliberately trying to put a PR slant on everything. It's not about telling positive stories. It's about telling stories full stop. It's about nuanced, contextualized stories. That's what businesses need to be doing more. Because I think that global companies invest a lot more in their communications. How did we know Twitter was opening an office in Accra or, you know, or Amazon or Google is going to Kenya? They tell us. It's not investigative journalism. They tell us. You know, and I give you an example. I have a friend who runs a, a small sort of data business in Nigeria. And he's been going for about four years. And he won a huge, massive contact with one of the leading banks in Nigeria. And I said to him, I said, great, fantastic. This is a game changer for you. You need to announce this. This is going to do a lot for your business. It's a big bank. It's a reputable company. If, you, if people know that you're handling that kind of business, it's good for your business. His response to me was, no, not yet. Let's just get the business first. And, and, you know, yeah, I'm not interested in the PR. You need to tell the story. And that's a success story for his business. It's a success story for the bank in that they're empowering, you know, small and local businesses. It's a success story for him in that he's managed to secure a big, significant contract like that. No story, no coverage. It didn't happen. That's the reality. If it's not out there, it didn't happen. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so I I get that bit. Let's talk about gender parity because I know we'll discuss a bit more about um, getting your story out. The data pointed to some gender disparity that we need to really uh, tackle. So 
women represented only 29% of the protagonists in stories on the subject and 12% of the experts or sources used. Right? So we need to change this in every front, not only reporting, but everywhere. Mm-hmm. How can we push these numbers of women represented, particularly as protagonists or sources of info, higher? I'll, I'll give you one example, maybe. Uh, while I was at the BBC, what we used to do was that our editorial line had a 50-50 rule, where if you had a week and you had 10 people who were interviewees, five of them had to be women. Mm. Five or more had to be women. And it worked for us because when we were looking for guests, we had to look for people who are, you know, like women in the space doing amazing things. And then they come and give a very authoritative point of view, which was fantastic. But how can we push these numbers of women represented as protagonists or sources of info higher? I think there's a couple of ways we need to do it. And as a woman, I will say it starts with us. I have done a number of, um, I guess, initiatives where I've required women to speak out, to tell their stories, to do interviews. I mean, I wrote a book called Africa's Greatest Entrepreneur some years ago. There wasn't a single woman in it. It wasn't because I didn't approach women. It's because women didn't want to do it. And that's the first thing I need to say. Women need to put themselves out there. It's not comfortable. A lot of women don't do it. I actually have a podcast series called Women on Top. (laughs) It's been a struggle getting women to talk about their success. So I'm just saying women themselves have to step up. That's the first thing. We have to step up and be available to be interviewed, to appear as spokespeople. Um, And I know that example that you talked about that um, the BBC did, there was also somebody who worked at the BBC that said it took him, I think, you know, 15 minutes longer to work each story to make sure that there was gender parity in it. It just was harder. Yeah. And that's something that we have to be prepared to do. You don't create change by doing more of the same thing. It is harder um, and we need to do it. So the first thing is women have to step up. But also the second thing is women have to be in those positions. So they have to be on boards. They have to be leading companies. And I think we can see that changing. Um, And I certainly know a lot of women who are running their own businesses. And I think there's this piece of research from the MasterCard um, Foundation that shows that actually women in Africa are more likely to be entrepreneurs than anywhere else in the world. Um, Our research also showed that actually in, I think, about nine countries in Africa, more people were more likely to search business, entrepreneurship than anywhere else in the world. And again, layer this on top of women I think there's a lot more happening on the ground that's just not being reflected in the things that we're reading and seeing and watching. Yeah, a lot of layers as well. It's seemingly also the financial independence of a lot of editorial, uh, even newsrooms, getting to the depth of the story still, yeah, we still have some bit of work to do there. Um, So we did mention government, right? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the research is meant to inform beliefs, behavior and dictate policy. So how do we communicate, what's the way forward communicating this to governments? Because we still have governments running a lot of narratives that international organizations or people globally pick up. You mentioned in one of your interviews that the research is, even in the press release, that the research is meant to inform beliefs, behavior, and ultimately dictate policy. Mm-hmm. So that last bit, dictating policy, what's, what does that mean when we're relating with governments? So what the report is supposed to do is show people what the data tells us, that the fact that there are things that are not being covered. I think the big one for me is the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement has had something like 1% of coverage across, you know, global and local media. 
what we want is that we need government to prioritize that in each of the countries. We also need to understand that if international brands are being, you know, highlighted as the heroes of business stories, what policies can government put in place to make it easier for local businesses to do what they do, to grow, so that they become the global brands in their markets? You know, it's little things like, um, well, it's not little, things like there are two or three countries that seem to feature consistently when we talk about, you know, business in Africa. It's Nigeria, it's South Africa, a lot of the time it's also Kenya and Ghana. Yeah. But there are 54 countries in Africa, right? And we know that countries like uh, Rwanda, like Mauritius, like Namibia, like Botswana, they, they rank very highly on a lot of these business indices. In fact, Mauritius is the number one country in Africa for doing business in Africa. But we don't hear a lot about the business opportunities there. We see it, but we don't hear how you engage in business in, in Rwanda or in, in Mauritius or in Namibia or in Botswana. Governments need to start looking at what policies they need to put in place to make sure that there is awareness of this, not only in the business community, but also in the diaspora community. There's a huge African diaspora that want to invest back in their own countries. But if you don't know what the local opportunities are, you're going to put your money in the country where you are, invariably in the UK or the US. So I think that there's a lot that government can do in terms of making it easier for entrepreneurs, for business, for women, for intra-Africa trade. You know, I know right now the Continental Free Trade Agreement is being rolled out. It's not ready yet. But companies have to prepare. If you are a local company supplying Kenya, and all of a sudden there's this massive opportunity to supply the whole of East Africa or even possibly West or Southern Africa, you need to build that capability now so that when the Continental Free Trade Agreement is ready, you are there to do business in those countries. Now, how do you do that if you don't know what the opportunity is, if media is not there unpacking the opportunity for you? Um, and that's something that local governments have to get involved in. Where are the media going to get the stories from? Somebody's got to be putting them out there. That's very true. And to build on to your point, uh, the report also said 54% of business news last year was framed through government action and policies, because that's very clear. But then we have issues like corruption, which is a constant reality. Uh, elections, which brings with it so many nuances and so many conversations. So where do we strike a balance between speaking about what the government is doing and government policies and things that are reality on ground, and then speaking about entrepreneurs and what's happening? How do we... What in your ideal situation is a proper balance in reporting? Yeah, I mean, look, it's difficult to be prescriptive and say, you know, this is a proper balance. I think that we need to be reflecting what's going on on the ground. You know, so governments are introducing policy. Government's very active in business in Africa, but there's a whole world of people who are doing business without the support of government. Um, in a lot of African countries, we equally need to reflect that. You know, there's a difference between narrative and reality. But the point is that people don't know what the reality is because they usually rely on media, on, you know, I guess to a certain extent, social media or whatever they read and see and consume to inform their decisions. So what we need to do is move the media narrative closer 
to what's going on on the ground, because that's how you will make a business investment or a business decision. Because right now, if I were to just say, I'm just reading business media and going based on that, it's highly unlikely I'm going to invest in you know, local businesses because I'm not reading about them. Highly unlikely I'm going to invest in businesses that run by young people because I don't know they exist. Probably won't invest in women-owned businesses because I don't see them. Probably won't invest in any business opportunities in you know, Botswana or anywhere because I'm not hearing about them. You know, so there, there is a lot missing. And the one thing I will say as well, that Africa's biggest export, I think, to the world is our culture. It's our music. We've heard about Ama Piano. We've heard about, yes. you know, Afrobeats. We've got Wizkid, Davido, all these people who are making global headlines, right? You know, we've got a lot to offer in terms of culture. And it's a low entry industry. You know, there's a lot of young creative people. But when you read about business in Africa... We never hear about the business opportunities in the creative industries. Look at Nollywood. It's the biggest film industry in the world, second to Bollywood. We make more movies than Hollywood does. And the reason why these movies exist is there's a market for them. If there's a market for something, there's a business opportunity there, in which case there's potential investment opportunity there. If we're not writing about it and people aren't reading about it, how are we going to attract investment into it? Because it's a closed industry. There's no data. There's no information. You're going to put your money where you can see. You know, it's all about transparency. And so I think that there's a lot we need to move towards with the way business is covered in Africa. We're not quite there yet. And this report helps to shine a light, like I said, on what's missing and on what is there that is problematic. Right. I'm, I'm very happy that you brought up creative businesses and the creative space, because that's definitely where Africa is headed in terms of segmenting our place in, in the world. All right. So final question, what happens next after this report? Do we anticipate another one in a year? Uh, what would we like to see different in that new one? What do we see happening next? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll do another report um, because I don't think the data is going to change that, right. that um, differently. I think this is something that in, in maybe, you know, five years' time, 10 years' time, we might revisit it and say, okay, so what has changed? Because what the report is trying to do, it's trying to be a bit of an advocacy tool because there are two things we do in the report. So it's not just sort of reflecting what we're seeing and what we're not seeing. We've also provided a list of questions journalists should be asking themselves as they pick up their pen or open up their laptops to write another story about a global brand in Africa, right? Yeah. So there's a bunch of questions you need to ask yourself to try and get you to a stage where you're kind of rethinking the kind of stories you, you're writing. That's the one thing. The second thing that the report also does is that it lists 35 newish ideas for stories on doing business in Africa. These are trends that really have gone uninterrogated. You know, for example, things like the highest number of peer-to-peer -peer cryptocurrency transactions in the world is happening in Kenya. As a business journalist, first of all, what are people trading? What are Kenyans buying? What are they using cryptocurrencies for? There's a bunch of business stories in there. Because there's a tech space there. There's a whole tech development community that's happening in Kenya, for example. And we hear about it from a 
data perspective that, you know, the most cryptocurrency transactions are happening in Kenya. But dig deep. Who are the people creating products that are being traded on these um, exchanges? You know, there's a bunch of stories in there. And we've given you 35 different opportunities to explore stories about the continent that don't reflect some of the ones that we've talked about. And I think that's the important thing, that if the suggestions we have recommended um, in the report from journalists' questions to ask themselves to new sort of trends to unpack that will help you explore different stories on the continent, if some of those things are implemented in five years' time, 10 years' time, we will see a difference. We will see a difference. That's and, you know, hopefully we'll still be around to kind of <laughs> to measure this and come back and tell you what that difference is. Yeah, touch wood, touch wood. Um, before I let you go, there's one statement that I always heard being said, even on social media, how anyone now with access to information, access to Google, access to Twitter and whatnot, can be considered a journalist, so to speak. So I, I would really love to hear that because you've been on both sides. So the business side, you have your own podcast, you're creating your own content. But we've constantly been told anyone now with access to info and access to an outlet can be considered a journalist. It's just how thorough you are or how intense you get. Mm. I would like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I don't think anyone can be considered a journalist, but they can be considered a content producer. There we go. Um, I think it's important to understand that people don't necessarily get their news from the traditional you know, places anymore. But if you want trusted news that you know has been interrogated and you know that it is what it is, you will go to a trusted news brand. So there is still very much a place for trusted news brands and trained journalists. Um, I would rather, you know, go and get my news on whether or not the election in Lagos has been cancelled by a trusted news brand than to, you know, by somebody on social media who happens to have tweeted it. So I think that there's a different role for media and for journalists. But also I think that there's a huge amount of stories to be told. And why should we allow only journalists to tell them? Mm. You know, not everything is controversial. Not everything needs verification. Um, and I think there's a bunch of people who are doing some great storytelling out there. Um, there's a young lady called um, Marie Mbuli. She's a Tanzanian-American. She has a platform on TikTok called Habari and Jerry, which is, you know, good news, I think, in, in Swahili. But she's not a trained journalist. She puts out positive stories on Africa because she was tired of hearing all the negative stuff that she, you know, she was consuming. She has 4.5 million followers on TikTok, Nice. She's huge. She's yeah. bigger than most, you know, global media platforms. So, you know, you can't ignore people like that. She's not a journalist. All right, there we go. There we go. I cannot appreciate you enough. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Georgie. Thank you very much to all of you for listening to this episode of To The Point with Portland. Should you like to know more about what we discussed today, do get in touch with us via our website, portland-communications.com, or you can speak to me directly on Twitter. I'm at Georgie Ndirango. And of course, our guest, Moki Makura, is on Twitter as well. That's at M-O-K-Y-M-A-K-U-R-A.